This is the Lotox Life Podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host. Today is show 194. We are fast approaching that 200 show number and we have just had our fourth birthday and over 1.5 million downloads just this past couple of weeks. So thank you to all of you for tuning in week on week, for sharing it with your friends online or popping them a text to say, I think you should listen to this. This might help you. Sometimes we have really direct shows that help for a very specific concern. Sometimes we broaden and think big picture and look at how we might all play a part as a little cog in an amazing, huge, steady turning wheel towards a better planet. So that and everything in between, I know that one of the things that you guys love about the show is the variety And I'm so, so thrilled because I find that I really like that variety. I think, yes, it's important to look at some of the big health challenges and concerns that we have for the present day, uh, how we might navigate challenges that come up at different periods in our lives or whether we're a woman or a man or what type of different chronic illness that you might encounter based on the environment you've lived in or the lifestyle issues or genetics or whatever it might be. That's all important for sure. But if we become consumed and self-obsessed, then we forget why we want our health in the first place. And I think those big picture shows that take a look at things like we did last week with Teresa Cody on how construction as an industry can play a part in healing the planet if we choose to do it differently or, uh, you know, some of the mind topics that we've had over the past few years. It's uh, just such a joy to bring you the whole gamut of all of the things that I'm interested in that you just so happen to be interested in as well. So that's kind of lucky, right? (laughs) Um, And so this week we have a beautiful show. As you would have seen over the past few weeks, we've looked at healthy homes, healthy home preventative and repairing strategies, as well as then a bigger picture look at construction and how we can design better for the future in both cities and uh, less urban areas and how actually starting to de-urbanise is going to be one of the ways that we transform from the industrial to the technology age, uh, the digital age, as uh, Teresa Cody talked about last week. Mind-blowing episode. You have to go back and listen. And Something I find, I don't know about you guys, but when I go super, super big picture, sometimes I can think, oh, I love all that utopian talk and how amazing it could be and will be, but what can I do from today? And I find personally reminding myself of the power and the influence I have to create a deeper connection to nature, a life more in tune with the workings of the planet kinder to the planet, lower on my footprint, is the way that I then feel like that utopian future is uh, possible by me taking one better step forward. And I know so many of you guys uh, feel that that resonates with you as well. So I thought it'd be great to just bring it right back down to our garden or our balcony or whatever, your little pot on your windowsill, anything where you can grow a plant. And today I have the editor of Pip Magazine joining me, uh, Robin Rosenfeld, who uh, has so much wonderful uh, stuff to share about not only her own personal journey, uh, but what we can do, some of the really simple things we can do to embrace permaculture principles into our everyday lives, no matter where we live. You know, being a member of the Low Tox Life community, that this is never going to be about preaching one perfect way to live, one perfect way to eat, one perfect way to think. It's all about looking at what we're doing now, what's working for us, what isn't, what's working for the planet, what isn't, and what is our personal step forward that's going to mean we're doing better than we did yesterday. And then when we get comfortable and we learn that, we inspire others around us, and then we up our game a little bit more. 
that's all that leading a low-tox life is about, really. And uh, and I'm really, really excited for this uh, chat today because it's going to leave you feeling like, oh, yeah, there's something I can do from today after last week's massive big-picture thinking show. Uh, and so hopefully I, I can't wait to hear what you guys glean out of today's episode and what you might like to start growing. I've got some resources in the works um, on this subject, uh, which I'm very excited Excited to share with you soon, but suffice it to say, for now, let's just all grow a plant. It's kind of like that meme, isn't it? Um, uh, it's just one straw, said one, uh, said eight billion people. Imagine if we said that about growing a plant. Oh yeah, what's one plant going to grow? You know, my windowsill. What's that going to do? Said eight billion people, and you start to realise the impact of the collective in doing just one tiny little thing more, one tiny little thing better, one tiny little thing to bring nature closer into our lives, uh, to grow something and eat it, which is always so, uh, you just always feel so clever when you pick something and you eat it straight away, even if it's just a bit of parsley or mint on your kitchen windowsill. Um, right through to the prolific veggie gardeners that we have in our community. Uh, So that show is coming up very, very shortly in a couple of minutes, but I just wanted to remind you of a couple of things. Number one is we have the wonderful Thera Health sponsoring the podcast this month with their Nordic Naturals Arctic Cod Liver Oil. Now, uh, we never accept sponsorship from something we don't believe in, from something that isn't in line with low-tox values, uh, and uh, it is always a pleasure to make sure that that uh, synergy is bang on. And if it's a product that I have personally tested it myself, I can't talk about things that I don't like and collect money for it. I think that would just be really disingenuous um, and the opposite of integrity. So you can bet your bottom dollar that I have, uh, sorry about my little phone there. I'm just going to leave that in. It's a tiny little blip. Um, that I have tried this product and actually I haven't just tried it. It is something that my son and I both take on the daily. We take the Nordic Naturals Arctic D cod liver oil in the lemon flavor, zero fishiness, uh, really, really lovely taste actually, and very beneficial for a number of reasons. Seb had a little bit of, um, bump bumpiness on the back of his arms and a little bit of dry skin. I had very dry skin and uh, both of us have high leptin residual from living in a water damaged building for a number of years. Uh, And so um, a really good dose of omegas can be very helpful for all of these things, as well as for concentration. If uh, that's an issue for you or your kids, maybe you're not getting a good enough dose of your omegas. So um, always best to check in with a practitioner, of course. But if you don't want to book in to see someone or if maybe there's a budget constraint around that, pop to a health food store and chat to their naturopath or nutritionist on staff and workshop your uh, concerns and whether a great omega supplement might be useful for you. I cannot speak highly enough about this product. We've definitely noticed the difference since incorporating it into our daily uh, lives. And it contains naturally occurring omega-3s, vitamin A, vitamin D, and in fact, the Arctic D cod liver oil has an extra dose of vitamin D, which is fabulous. And for those of you who aren't aware of the nutritional benefits, you could be supporting numerous systems in the body, including immune health, heart health, brain health, joint and muscle health, overall vitality. Uh, It is a wonderful, wonderful supplement indeed. Um, For our vegan and vegetarian listeners, they actually have an algae uh, omega supplement as well, if you wanted to look into that. Uh, I know uh, a number of uh, vegan nutritionists recommend the Nordic Naturals algae supplement. So there's something for everyone in the range, uh, but speaking from personal experience, I'm recommending the Arctic D cod liver oil or the Arctic cod liver oil uh, capsules. Uh, so we have a winner. We had a little giveaway on last week's show and everybody's been writing their, um, their comments, uh, saying they'd love to try it. And this week's winner of the bottle of the Arctic, uh, cod liver oil lemon flavor is Christy. And there was only one Christy who entered. So that's nice and easy. You'll know who you are, Christy, with an initial K. 
Uh, it's an Australian email address and I have that bottle right here to send to you. So we will do that this week as soon as you've gotten in touch. Congratulations. And we have a giveaway coming up next week again as well uh, to try the capsules. So stay tuned for that one. Um, and uh, what else do I have to tell you about um, the Nordic Naturals? Do I want to say something else? I don't think so, but I definitely can say that in the case of my son taking, he, he was put on a, a pediatric um, medicinal dose of two teaspoons where you would normally only need one because there was a deficiency recognised um, with our beautiful paediatrician, Dr. Leila Masson. Um, and, uh, and the bumps on the back of his arms are gone. His concentration is better already. And um, that's just a couple of months into it. So uh, I'm a huge fan as both a parent and an individual uh, working to reduce my leptin levels after prolonged mould exposure. Uh, it's part of the um, Shoemaker Protocol, actually, to um, take a very good high-dose um, fish oil. This is definitely not one of those rape and pillage fish oils, super cheap that you find in a supermarket or a um, bargain basement pharmacy. These are sourced from the Norwegian seas, consisting of the purest, most ethically sourced fish oil in the world. You don't have mercury in there, no strange contaminants, no oxidization, very, very good quality fresh fish oil. Uh, so I hope you enjoy that. We've popped uh, a list of stockists and, and places that you can find it in the show notes. And uh, I'm thrilled to recommend a product that I love so much myself. So there's that. And there's, of course, a big thank you to the 10 new Lotox Club members who joined us in this past week. Uh, we have now a few hundred club members and the energy and the support that you're giving each other is uh, growing and growing each week as more and more people join in the community. It gets bigger. Uh, it's developed into a beautiful supportive brains trust. It's just 49 Australian dollars a year. So that's about 29.30 US and about 28.29 euro. Uh, and that's your year's membership taken care of. And for that, you get a ton of perks like joining the Lotox Club chat group, which of course, because there's that membership fee, there's no random free people from online that can come and troll and do all sorts of crazy stuff like some, sometimes happens in uh, uh, green groups online, unfortunately. But you also get 50% off all of our Lotox Life uh, e-courses whenever you want to redeem those uh, and get stuck into them throughout the year. There's everything from going gluten-free, going dairy-free, going additive-free, uh, Lotox Kids, Preconception Ninja, Inflammation Ninja, Real Food Rock Stars. There's a ton of great courses on there for you to get started uh, and uh, a bunch of other perks as well, which um, include a gorgeous club dashboard, a monthly topic exclusive to club members, and then we have a couple of beautiful challenges, which we call boosts because, frankly, who needs to add another challenge into 2020? Um, but they're just like little focuses that we have each month. Uh, this month, we've actually got a clean air topic. So looking after the air in our indoor, health, uh, indoor home environment, making it as healthy and fresh as possible, uh, which a lot of people struggle with. Uh, so we're really excited to dive into that this month. And you get access to that um, member portal as soon as you become a club member. So you can do that either by looking at the show notes where we always have the link. Otherwise, you can head to lowtoxlife.com forward slash the hyphen low hyphen tox hyphen club forward slash. And you can join and jump into the club group, jump onto the portal and start enjoying everything from today. So that's all I had to rabbit on about. And now I am super excited to bring you this feel good chat about permaculture and what we can do from our own backyards or windowsill with Pip Magazine editor, Robin Rosenfeld. Enjoy. Hello, Robin. How are you? Good. Thanks, Alex. How are you? I am awesome. And I'm really excited to have you here on the show talking about your beautiful magazine, Pip uh, Magazine, but also um, your personal journey into getting permaculture uh, on your radar and then how that has manifested for you on a personal level, but what you've been able to do with the magazine in terms mm -hmm. of inspiring so many others to bring permaculture principles into their everyday lives. 
it's always uh, a topic I, I love to talk about on the show. So welcome. And I might ask first, what was life like as a kid? Paint the picture of, did you have hippie woo-woo parents or were you just a, a regular run-of-the-mill bit of junk food if you're lucky in the lunchbox? Like how was being a kid yeah, for you? No, I was pretty regular. Grew up in middle-class suburbia in Melbourne and, yep, went to a mainstream school and, yeah, ate a pretty, yeah, it wasn't a super, you know, healthy, no junk food ever diet. Um, mm. Yeah, just a pretty average uh, upbringing. Um, yeah, I had, yeah, I had a really beautiful family. Like we we're really close, and we still are really close. And um, yeah, and I guess one thing, like when I look back, and I think, well, what sort of drew me to this way of living? I guess it was a mixture of uh, doing, like my dad always had a veggie garden. And oh, nice. I would, and I, what kind of size are we talking? Oh, not massive, not massive, just a little square, rectangular, uh, yeah, a couple of two by three meters sort of thing. Yeah, nice, mm-hmm. but you know, there was always a bit of silver beet and rhubarb, and you know, we had a plum tree, and I remember growing carrots for the first time, having my own little patch of it. Yeah, gorgeous. Uh, but it wasn't like that was a major influence, and then you know, we'd go camping every year and spend a couple of weeks in the bush and but yeah I just always kind of had an affinity for for nature and for living in a way that was more in touch with nature and yeah and I guess as I grew up and sort of expanded out of my little world and you know became aware of a more alternative existence and going to festivals and things like that that was where my eyes opened yeah nice and so you started to meet people who were living differently to your yeah yeah. your upbringing yeah and it's such an important thing to happen in early adulthood isn't it I remember I went to uni um where it turns out and I had this vision of what uni was going to be I thought I was going to meet all these amazing people from all around the world and and I ended up going to my first um offer and that was um a university that ended up just having all of the people that I knew from school at it. Yeah, I was right. like, this isn't what I wanted. Like, I like you guys, <laughs> but I really wanted my mind to be expanded. I was just hungry yeah. for it. Transferred yeah. to a different uni and, and got that multicultural experience. And it was just one of the most amazing. I think, you know, whether it's multicultural, diverse styles of living, whatever it is, I think it's such a, a, a a lucky thing to have your mind expanded um, mm, in some yeah. way and see that uh, you have one type of reality, other people have different yeah. realities and you can start to pick and choose when yeah. you create your adult life. And I think you have these sort of feelings deep down that when you find those people or that situation or that community, it sort of sings to you and mm. you're just like, yeah. This is what it's about, you know. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I remember, you know, going to festivals at a youngish age, sort of late teens, mm. early late teens, and just being like, yeah, yeah, I love this stuff. <laughs> yeah, this is what I was kind of waiting for, some kind yeah. of penny to drop where you're like, this makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. cool. And, so you know, It's always such an evolution too. Like I think, you know, you look at, what people are doing and how they are. It's a slowly tra- a slow transformation over, you know, throughout your life that you end up where you're at doing what mm. you do. And when did you leave Melbourne? Um, Ten years ago. Well, I mean, I sort of, I travelled overseas and lived overseas and things in my 20s and then, yeah, moved up here about ten years ago. Nice. So I'm in Pambula, which is far south coast, New South Wales, kind yeah. of how Good Melbourne. oysters, very good oysters. Yes, we do have good oysters in this area. <laughs> <laughs> I used to run a bar and we served oysters from Pambula and um, yeah. people always said we had the best oysters they'd ever tasted. I was yeah, like, I know. They're pretty good foil mm. for oysters now. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Good zinc, good for the immune system, nice. Yeah. Um, okay, so you... What what do you think drove you to move to P- 
Pambula? Why did you pick there? Was it a particular community that you wanted to become a part of? Uh, not particularly. I didn't know a lot about Pambula before I moved up here. I came right. with some, we came travelling through and they decided we were on holiday and they were going for a round Australia trip looking for somewhere to live and we came here and they were like, oh, we love it, we're going to move here. And then, yeah, we ended up moving up two years later. So we sort of came just to see what it would be like. Mm. If it worked, we'd stay here. If not, we'd keep going. But it was one of those things you just move somewhere and everything falls into place and mm. everything's really easy and you meet great people and, yeah, just never look back really. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to know what got permaculture on your radar? Was it a significant person that taught you a lot or um, attending talks? You know, how did it start to become a great passion for you? Um, well, I guess I, yeah, I picked up a few books over the years and I had an interest in gardening and permaculture. As for a lot of people, it's like, what is that? Is that some sort of gardening thing? <laughs> um, where it's actually a whole lifestyle, whole exactly. design system. Um, and then when I moved up here, I started working on a magazine called Sustain Magazine, mm-hmm. which was a local sustainability magazine. And, yeah, I became the editor of that. And I was working alongside John Champagne, who is a per- local permaculturalist, and he teaches permaculture. And, yeah, so when we were working on that, we were looking at how we could incorporate permaculture ethics into the magazine and yeah, and I learnt from him and then I did a PDC with him and about just not long before that Sustain magazine kind of closed down. So, yeah, it was like, well, we really need a permaculture magazine because at the mm. time it was the English one but it was all about England and it was about woodlands and it was about climates and trees and things that weren't relevant to us where permaculture is from Australia. Mm. It came from Australia, but yet we didn't have our own magazine. And there was one. Um, I think that closed, that finished up. It was maybe about 10 years before I started PIP. So there hadn't been one for a while. So I was like, okay, I'll just start (laughs) magazines. Nice. So, I mean, obviously uh, it was the kind of divine timing of something falling away that literally makes you jobless that you have to kind of go okay like this is well I mean it wasn't so much because I wasn't like I was making a lot of money from yeah state, fair enough which mm. is partly why it closed down um and yeah so at the time when I did my PDC I was seven months pregnant and I had already had two young kids so mm-hmm. I was I wasn't working like we just moved up here um I tried to do a bit of work but it was just too difficult to commit to anything with kids and you know, preschool kids and yeah. working. So, uh, and, yeah, through being the editor at Sustain, I realised how much I loved it. So prior to that I was a photographer and a freelance journalist and I loved putting together stories about things and people and and then as the magazine editor, it was like, wow, I can make a whole magazine about whatever I want. You know? Yeah. I yeah. can have a say over how it looks and how the page layout is and, so I just found I loved it. And then, yeah, so at that point in time, yeah, it was a good, it was following my passion for permaculture and sustainable living and uh, my love of magazines and photography. And All coming together in one. Stories and making it, presenting it in a really beautiful way. And, yeah, and it worked well because it meant I could do it from home with kids. With kids. And you know, I, when as soon as I go to sleep on the computer, yeah, in the middle of the night on the computer, <laughs> um, and yeah, and I could do it from home. So, and it was a job that wasn't reliant necessarily on the local economy and the small, you know, a small town where there's not there's not a lot of work in that sector. So, mm. yeah, so it all kind of came together, really. Yeah, amazing. So for people who, and, and by the way, PDC, obviously Permaculture okay. Design Course. Yes, yes. For the uninitiated. So PDC um, is like a two, there are, traditionally it's a two-week course and you go mm-hmm. and, learn and you learn all aspects of permaculture. And 
Um, but they also have part-time ones where you can do yeah, do them bit by bit. Yeah. And can you, just for people who have always been interested in what it means, maybe haven't actually dived into it yet, Permaculture 101. What is it? Yeah. So basically permaculture is a design system. So it's a way of living and designing our homes, our gardens, our communities that mimics nature and it's about the connections between things and um, yeah, one thing supporting the other. So, I mean, a, an example I often use it are maybe chickens in your system. So, you don't just sort of have your chickens and you buy food in, and you, they're kind of like I mean, you buy you do buy food in as well, but they're they're part of a cycle. So, you feed your veggie scraps to them, they eat those. They go into your garden, they dig around and eat worms and eat bugs that might affect your plants. They um, lay eggs which you can then eat which you then bring into your house you eat you put the scraps into the veggie garden into the compost which go into the veggie garden which grows food which the scraps go and feed the chickens so it's that kind of yeah and in nature you don't nothing is standing alone completely Mm. separate from anything else it's about those interconnections that support one another and i mean that happens in community how we build our community groups and how we support one another in all sorts of ways. And none of us live completely independently of each other, our neighbours, our communities, our friends, our family. Mm. And, I mean, some people may live more like that, but the more connections you are, there are, the stronger that, that is. Yeah, uh, and the less people are likely to fall down in that community. Yeah, mm. and I think we've seen that, you know, in the recent pandemic and lockdown things like the more community that's around and the more we can support each other, the stronger those systems are. So, you know, yeah. you look at some of those local food systems that have just done really well during the pandemic. Mm. Supermarkets have kind of fallen over. Well, they haven't fallen over, but, you know, there were shortages and things like that, whereas local, some of the local food systems were able to keep going because they were all just able to connect on a much more simple level. Absolutely. I, I remember um, when the height of the shortages kicked in uh, mid, I think it was early to mid-March, I guess, mm. and, uh, and I shop um, largely at um, farmer's markets or Whole Foods House who get all of their um, produce from local farms and we just didn't have shortages. There was, yeah. there was literally no issue. Um, and I wondered whether that was because when you eat produce-heavy diet as well, mm-hmm. um, farms aren't starting to produce less because of a pandemic. So your direct supply to meat and veg and eggs and nuts and seeds is much um, more resilient Mm. than a packet of pasta from Italy Mm. at a time like this. And for me that really highlighted in the most basic way Mm. how the simplest thing we can do to engage in a more meaningful um, way with the cycles of nature is to tip from being packet heavy to produce heavy in our mm. eating. And also for the producers as well. I mean, yeah. you know, like the local producers who are shipping their products locally, like in their own truck or, mm. you know, how they do it, we're able to get through it much better on the whole than bigger companies who are trying to ship it to China and suddenly that whole market's disappeared. Exactly. Makes us see how volatile it all is. And how we should be trying to have more of a local economy mm. on a community level, but I guess also in within the country as well. Yeah. So let's talk about produce because I think a lot of people want to do, I mean, it's absolutely clear that people want to do a lot better by the planet in the way that they eat and they're curious yeah. to know how that um, looks and what it means and what we should be eating. Uh, and I feel like just as we've started to get over the diet wars for fat loss and, and beautifying and all that kind of stuff, we've now got the climate diet wars. Mm. And, um, and very rightly so, people are waking up, therefore, to things like factory farming, things like animal live export, criminal uh, mm. things that really do um, disturb original, like natural cycles of... Mm-hmm. Um, 
animal life. Uh, but then I feel like the processed food market often comes in and hijacks that goodwill for people to want to do better with synthetic processed weirdness. Mm. And, um, and from a, a permaculture aspect, I would love to know, I know you've written extensively about that in the issue coming up in um, PIP. Uh, so we'll obviously direct everybody there, but I'd love to hear your thoughts, how you've personally explored it um, and what the thinking is around what we should be eating for a healthier planet these days. Yeah, well, I think what it comes down to and what we do talk about in um, the article and the issue that's coming out next week is uh, we we look at like an earth-friendly diet, so planet-friendly diet. And so rather than looking at what, you're eating like should it be plant-based only should it be vegetables should it be meat it's looking at how those things are produced so yeah beef is a massive problem in the way that it's mostly grown so Mm. um i mean often you see i mean you see cows in the paddock and you think oh that seems okay but the reality is that a large proportion of meat is produced in feedlots where Mm. they get put into these feedlots and just sort of fed up it towards the end of their life. And, um, yeah, so there's all of the grain that needs to be produced for that. There's the waste that needs to be dealt with. There's the health and well-being of the animals, um, which is extremely different from cows that are farmed on a regenerative farm where the cows are moved around on the farm in a way that it's actually building carbon in the soil. It's getting the grasses and the pasture to grow deeper roots, which stores more carbon. And uh, it can actually be a positive for the environment if those animals are managed in a way that they're actually looking after the land that they're farmed on. So, mm. I mean, in that sense, it's not black and white. Yeah. yeah eat meat, don't eat meat. Um, it never is, is it? No. Um, and I totally agree. That's where I've arrived. It's at the how, not the what. Yeah. And, you know, then you can look at some of the um, meat alternatives like tofu and soy products um, where, you know, some of the soy, the way soy is grown is really bad for the environment and where it's grown and the effect that that has. So, yeah, I think what we really need to be doing is supporting those farmers that are doing the right thing and Mm. maybe paying a little bit extra, like you might see, meat that's from a regenerative farm and you think wow it's heaps more but it's like well that's actually the cost of creating meat mm. and the reason that it can be so cheap is because it's done in these other ways which are actually having a really negative impact on all sorts of things especially the environment so um yeah i think it's making those choices and if you have a farmer nearby or you know you don't have to be living out in the country doing it yourself in the city, I mean, sometimes in the city you have more access because there's a lot more people around and people are setting up to supply to the city. So I think it's good to look and see who's who's in your local area that you can support. And sometimes there's like a CSA system, so community-supported agriculture. So yeah. rather than you just buying what you want, you just get a set, you might pay an amount each month and you get food, whether that's meat or vegetables, yeah, a box worth, and that's just meaning that the farmer's getting that wage no matter what happens. Mm. There's some sort of absolute disaster, then everyone shares that, not just the farmer. Yeah, and yeah, and then that's that beautiful thing that you're supporting that farmer. You feel connected. Sometimes they even have open days, and you can go to the farm and help do you know have a working bee or something, or even just visit. And yeah, you actually get to know the farmer and you become more intimate with the food that you're eating. Mm. And, again, that's about that link to um, the network that forms community and a real feeling of community. I remember starting to shop from farmer's markets and knowing the farmer, um, gosh, it would have been about 12 years ago now, 13, 14 years ago. And, um, And just when you sit down and you eat that food, Mm. And you think about the conversation you had with that person who grew it and picked that veggie and yeah. um, and how delicious it is. I I almost think that not only um, 
evidently by being grown in beautiful, rich soils, but also um, by knowing who grew it and harvested it and brought it to you, the gratitude almost makes things taste better as well. And um, I definitely feel that for sure. Yeah, no, definitely. Mm. And so people often feel like they could never do enough in a city. And I think that's really interesting what you said there about how you can actually sometimes turbocharge things by being a city dweller because you have so much more access to Mm. these foods being brought in and to supporting those sorts of farms than someone regionally with maybe a more limited food supply. Um, Mm. So I really like that because a lot of people usually feel like they're never doing enough in a city. Um, Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I still remember living in Melbourne and going to the big market each week and, you know, there was a whole aisle or a whole shed full of organics and, you know, the options that were there and now living where I do, the options are much, much less, you know, if you're not growing it yourself. Yeah. Um, you know, and we do have a farmer's market, but it's nothing like <laughs> the scale that you get. In Melbourne or Sydney. Or, yeah, yeah, when you're living in a city. And, um, yeah, so I think on that level, and you've got all those choices. I mean, I'm sure there's all sorts of CSAs that are available to. Yeah, there are, absolutely. Talking to a friend in Melbourne yesterday, she was telling me about this great community. And the um, farmers are all, uh, I don't know, a couple of hours out of Melbourne, but it's still available for supply to people in Melbourne. Mm. So it's all local, you know, it's a couple of hours away, but it's all local, small farms. The farmers are getting all of the money and, yeah, it's a great initiative. Yeah. And you've got access to that even in the city. So, yeah, I think there's lots of, and, you know, as far as community gardens and community groups and whole food shops and all of that stuff, there's there's a lot you can get involved with in the city. Mm, amazing. And if people were to sort of start to more actively want to, to spend time um, changing their habits, starting something new, uh, trying to adopt permaculture design into, say, like an apartment block lifestyle or a small piece of land where they're, um, they've got a miniature garden situation, maybe it's all paved and they don't even have grass, what are some of the things that you think um, anyone can do, no matter where they live? Well, I think a good thing to start with is to work out what it is that you're passionate about. Like, nice. if you don't like growing things, don't <laughs> try and garden. I mean, maybe try if you really want to, but you know, don't try and push something just because you feel you should do it and you're feeling guilty about it. Like, yeah, it's so. Like, so in saying that, it's like there is nothing wrong with choosing to publicly celebrate growers instead yeah. if you're not yeah. a great grower yourself and you don't give two hoots yeah. about mastering the art of growing a carrot, yeah. share a great farm's resources on your Facebook with your friends. And and make the, make the difference in your purchasing choices. Yeah. So choose to buy from people who are doing it really well. Yeah, and maybe you're really passionate about not creating waste and that's your passion or maybe... You're passionate about, you know, being an activist for the forests or writing letters to your local member or whatever. Yeah, and a pro tip there, apparently handwritten letters get read but emails do not. Yeah, okay. That's Mm. a good point. (laughs) I learnt that recently and I've switched to handwriting myself. I'm looking forward to my first reply. Yeah. (laughs) And um, also... Yeah, I think there's just all sorts of options that you could be going for. And it's also about people too. Like mm. um, we had an article in a recent edition where we talked about how there's all sorts of activism and sometimes just caring for another person is a form of activism, you know, because the more functional our societies are and the more cared for everyone is and looked after, the more that we can actually live in a positive way. So it might not even, it might be going and having a cup of tea with your neighbour. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned this, Robin, because sometimes I struggle with my, say, my personal passion and interest in the climate change space and attending workshops and going to Al Gore's training last year and doing all these things. And then I think, is it frivolous for me to then 
want to go back and teach parents how to get their kids not to be fussy eaters. And then I think, no, because if that is the single biggest stress that person has in their day-to-day life, mm-hmm. it consumes yeah. you, that kind of stress. It's a huge yeah. problem. You can't figure out how to fix it as if you've got time to even think about going to a protest at town hall yeah. or because yeah. you're so consumed by the issues plaguing yeah. your personal life, like having a health scare and really just needing to be in your own personal bubble and get that sorted before you can widen your focus. So I'm really glad you mentioned that because a lot of people have that sense of duplicity. It's like, I care about that stuff, but crap, there's a whole bunch of stuff I see that I need to look after right in front of me. You kind of got to sort number one out before you can widen your focus. And there's nothing wrong with that. And also it's about, there are so many aspects that you could be doing something yeah. Sometimes that can feel really overwhelming. It's like, well, I shouldn't be producing waste. I should be growing my own food. I shouldn't be buying from this place. But sometimes I do because it's convenient. And, you know, my kids, you know, shouldn't be wearing those clothes or doing, wanting to eat the food that they eat. And sometimes I give in and do it. And sometimes I shouldn't do this. You know, and before you know it, people are racked with guilt. and mm, About everything. Yeah, because, and the thing is, like, the more enlightened we're becoming about all this stuff, there's, I mean, there's, depending on what you subscribe to, I mean, your Facebook feeds, Instagram feeds, news, there's so much information, maybe not the news, <laughs> magazines, there's so much information <laughs> about, about how we can live better, which is fantastic. But the flip side of that is sometimes it might be overwhelming because the more you know about all the negative effects your actions can have, Sometimes it is hard to always do the right thing, especially if you are busy and you've got a lot going on. So I think, yeah, it's about choosing the things where you can make a difference and keep. And the thing is, the more aware you are, you've got that in the back of your head. And slowly mm-hmm. over time, like we we're talking about it being a journey, over time you you may move to the point where you can make those changes. But maybe right now it's a bit bit difficult. But mm-hmm. You just keep it on the radar for something to do when you can. Yeah, exactly. And what was what are you passionate about? Are you a good veggie grower or is that not your thing? Yes. No, no, I, I love my veggie garden. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm looking, look out the window at it now. And if you um, wanted to give people tips on getting their veggie garden going right, what would some of the things that you would recommend? Because so many people want to grow more, especially after yeah. the pandemic and having that fear around food security for the first time in many people's lives. It has made people think, I've got to learn how to grow something or I've got to get chickens. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I think you can grow something no matter how small the space mm. is. Um, even in an apartment you can have pots on the windowsill or something like that. Um, but even small gardens. Uh, when I lived in Melbourne, I had a tiny little courtyard garden and I had a bathtub. I remember growing the best broccoli I've ever grown before and I had all these makeshift pots and lemon tree and all sorts of things in this tiny space. And now I've got a lot of space and I've got a big veggie garden. And, yeah, I guess it's about um, soil. So, Mm. you know, the food you grow depends on the soil. So if you can get your soil right, so that's about, you know, adding compost and, you might have a worm farm, so getting those systems up and running. And if that's too much, just to start with, you could maybe buy in some compost or something just to get your soil really healthy. Mm. You know, mulch it so that it's not drying out. Make sure you water it regularly. And then grow the things that you love eating. Mm. And, you know, remember if you're not too aware of it, check what is in season. Yeah. It's so true, isn't it? Something as simple as a seasonal calendar can save you so much anguish and pain. It's not working. Yeah, like don't try and grow tomatoes in winter. Yeah, no. (laughs) um, Yeah, you know, and then once you've done that, start with something simple with herbs maybe, you know, because herbs are the sort of thing that you have to buy a whole bunch of them, usually wrapped in plastic, and you might not want to use them all. Whereas if you just have a few different herbs by the back door, you can... Just grab them whenever you want. And the smell of those herbs, you know, if you buy them from the shop, often they've got no smell. Mm, That's so true. And then, you know, some simple things like tomatoes, they grow well in pots. Yeah. Once you've had your own homegrown tomato, you won't want to go back. Oh, it's so (laughs) true. My mum's homegrown posada is 
a thing of beauty and you cook with it and things just taste so much better. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah, Yeah. and a tomato that's been grown hundreds of kilometres away and picked before it's ripe and Mm. shipped when it's unripe so that it doesn't get squashed and then you get it and it's just slowly starting to go a slight pink compared to a juicy red tomato picked straight from the garden that, you know, you can smell it. You can still smell the leaves because the leaves have a certain smell. They sure do. Biting into that is such a different experience that, yeah. So I think, yeah, gardening, if it's your calling, is just a great way to get started because you get that immediate satisfaction as well. When And, yeah, even better when you get to the point where your whole meal is homegrown, mm. you go, oh, I grew all of this. Yeah, I'm a bit say, clever. I often <laughs> say it to my family, oh, did you notice this is all homegrown? And I'm all excited. They're not quite as excited as me. <laughs> That's okay. You can have your I own party. <laughs> I love it. And what does um, what do you think for people who feel like they kill everything in the garden or, you know, even any plant they've ever owned, they're like the black thumb person, they call themselves, I feel like we're, we're so... Um, so many people just assume that they're going to suck at it. What are the easiest veggies to grow in your experience? Uh, parsley is pretty easy mm-hmm. and it's really yummy. Um, bush of rosemary. Yes. One of those in, they're very hardy. They don't need heaps of water. Um, ours don't get a lot of love. Zucchinis will mm-hmm. give you an abundance. They take up a little bit of room but... You know, in the average, if you've got an average size veggie garden, you should have room. And you probably only need one, maybe two. If you go beyond that, you will be. They will take over. It's so true. Every time we did that with pumpkins one year at my mum in law's, and we just ended up with a whole veggie garden just got overrun with pumpkin vines. And uh, we had a lot of good soups that year, but um, I have to say it was the first winter of my life, and pumpkin is my favourite vegetable. Yeah, well, second favourite, rocket leaves are my first. And um, it was the first year ever that I actually got sick of pumpkin. <laughs> like, yeah. wow, I reached peak pumpkin. This is, <laughs> I never thought I'd get there. Well, pumpkin's there another one too because they often, I mean, pumpkins, I very rarely plant a pumpkin. They just grow from the seeds that have been left in the compost or something. Yeah. And then they just sort of trail around the garden. So you mm. can even plant them on an edge of a bed and let them trail over lawn or a path or something. Yeah. And can I um, ask you as well about saving seeds and um, any tips around doing that versus buying from catalogues? Yeah, well, um, I mean, if you think about the amount of seeds that one plant gives you, Mm. it's phenomenal. So if you can just, and often it's best to leave that plant and not pick the fruit from it. So just let it go to seed. Oh, okay, cool. I mean, it depends what level you go to. I mean, if you, and the other thing is like with like talking about parsley, you just leave it and they just go. So it's, it's also about being able, like letting your garden get a bit messy. So when the plants sort of reached its full potential, then it goes to flower and then it goes to seed. It's really good to let that happen because one, when it's going to flower, it's attracting all of the bees and the pollinators. Mm-hmm. So yeah, bok chong, looking at my window now and bok choy off is one of the beautiful ones it just goes to see i mean goes to flower first and then there's just hundreds of bees get drawn into the garden Mm. and if you just leave it then it goes to seed and then the seeds just drop in place and then they just come up again next year so that's a really easy way to save seeds (laughs) yeah nice that's like the no-brainer very little to do and, and what I love about that is it's so counterintuitive to this world of perfection that we seek yeah. uh, or the, the world of perfect-looking plants and produce equals yeah. success. So a lot of people would see something go to seed or stop producing um, yeah. and think, oh, I've ruined it or it's stuffed up or it doesn't look very pretty in the garden well, anymore. Clean up the garden, get it all exactly. out. Exactly. Yeah. That's when and you just very- walk away and let it do its thing. Yeah, and cherry tomato is really good for that. So once you've had a good cherry tomato plant and you've let it go to seed in the garden, you'll never have to grow cherry tomatoes again. They just pop wow. up every year and you get more cherry tomatoes. And 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think the more you can do that, it's, you know, it's less buying things, it's less work, it's the garden starts producing for itself. And, and it's also, I mean, and then like we're talking about in permaculture and mimicking nature, well, that's what happens in nature. Well, yeah, exactly. As you were saying that, it made me think, wow. And the more you can do that, the more you actually get to witness how nature sets her systems up to produce and how companion plants work well together and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. So let's talk about Pip Magazine and how people might be able to find it because I know it's not just a physical magazine. You can also... Um, access a digital one, which means everybody around the world can learn yeah. a thing or two about uh, Aussie uh, permaculture, but also a lot of what you share. I pick up your magazine at Whole Foods House, they're a stockist, yeah. and, um, and a lot of it wouldn't matter where you lived in the world, I don't think. It's um, no, no, thought well, it's leadership not- as much as interviews, as much as tips. Um, yeah. It's a really great mix. No, it's definitely applicable no matter where you live. Mm. And no matter what your climate is. I mean, because within Australia we have so many climates. And, yeah, we do have subscribers all over the world and we mail, we also mail the physical magazine. But, yeah, we've got the digital version. So, yeah, on our website, pipmagazine.com.au, you can subscribe digitally or to print. But also we're in newsagents and, like, lots of independent stockers like Whole Foods House that you mentioned. And also on our website there's loads of free information, like, loads of blogs and articles about all sorts of things. So, Mm. yeah, we've got a lot of information out there. Yeah, you (laughs) sure do. Amazing. And we'll pop that um, stuff in our show notes as well so people can just click through and and find everything super easily. Um, To finish up, I'd love to ask you what you wish kids were taught today for uh, for actual change, like for us to actually pave the way for real change, um, because I feel like if we get them young, we can really start yeah. to change things. Because you grow up with a very firm set of beliefs on on needing to be more respectful mm-hmm. to nature for the yeah. survival of all things. Yeah. Um, what would you wish that you could create as a curriculum and pop it into the school system? Well, I mean, I see a lot of um, of the programs that are going on at schools, uh, at our local school too, with talking about waste, so doing mm. waste audits and looking at recycling and composting and where does the waste go. And I think that just gets kids thinking at a really early age. So it just becomes part of, you know, they don't even think about it. They're mm. just putting, well, I've, you know, when we introduced it at our local school, we got the different bins and there was the thing, is it going to be too hard? But it's not. It just took a little bit of time to kind of get kids thinking a certain way. But then, you know, they it doesn't take much for them to then know, you know, this goes to the chooks and, you know, then you can have waste-free Tuesday or whatever and give them a day without that. Also the gardening, growing food and things like that's really important. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, just that awareness of the environment as well, um, introducing that into the curriculum and that um, connecting with nature as well. So it's not necessarily all sitting and learning, but maybe just going and spending time in nature and I think it's really important so that kids develop that affinity with nature and feel connected. Because I think if you've got that connection to nature, you're not going to want to stuff it up. Mm. (laughs) When you can see how beautiful it is, and you can see the negative effects that happen, then you, because you care, like it's one thing to be told this is what you should do, this is what you shouldn't do, but when you actually feel it, yeah. then you're not acting out of guilt or something like that. You're acting because that's what you feel and that's what you care about and that's what you want. So, yeah, I think it's, I think as kids they just soak it up and, and then they take it home with them too, those ideas. And, mm. and kids just have such a good sense of what's fair and unfair yeah. as well, I think. Yeah. They're much smarter than we give them credit for so often yeah. and can start yeah. these conversations super early. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, very early. And, you know, you don't need to dumb down the language either. Agree. I totally agree. Yeah. 
It's, like, uh, it, it's these the words that we use and they just learn those words mm. have to sort of make it too simple. Yeah. And when it comes to your kids and food, um, Don't ask. <laughs> do they yeah. sometimes feel pressured? Like are you the hippie mum who always makes them eat veggies in their lunchbox and they get a bit annoyed with kind you of, or generally yeah, it's all good? Of, but they've kind of overrun me so to the point that they now have, they have things that I would really prefer they didn't. But, yeah, mm. because they hated being different and being, you know, yeah, it's a balancing act, isn't it? I think you've got yeah. to do um, same, same, but different. So there's got to be something that makes yeah. you look like everyone else. And yeah. for me, yeah. that's usually plain corn chips or popcorn or yeah. something like that. So at least it doesn't have all the flavoured crap in it, but it's something that looks like treat food. Yeah. And then you can have the nice veggie and meat wrap and then, you know, the other crudités and things. Yeah. But, um, but that's yeah, I think that- if you push it too hard, Mm. and they want to rebel against it totally they kind of hate what you're doing the teenage years are coming people so you go <laughs> i'm right in the middle of them right now are you yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. well yeah. and in teenagehood yeah. tribe culture is so huge like you have yeah. to be like your friends almost to survive yeah, yeah. um otherwise you just get kicked out to the curb and it's yeah. Brutal out there, so I completely understand. It's really I important. Talk about it. <laughs> honeybee wraps. Like I don't want to have honeybee wraps. That's okay, fair enough. Alrighty. Find <laughs> <laughs> find alternatives. But. Yeah. yeah, and the thing is, you have to. I mean, you know, before I had kids, you can live this ideal where you only eat certain foods, you only live a certain way, you never go to this place, you only do this and it. And then I think having kids is really challenging in that sense. Like as when they're young, it's easy, but as mm. they get older, you, you just get really challenged. And I don't know, maybe, I mean, some people seem to maintain those standards and their kids go along with it. And, but yeah, I haven't found that really. And I, you know, I do struggle with it because then I feel really guilty because I'm doing things that I don't want to be doing and buying mm. things that I I really want to be my wrong. God, I have a permaculture magazine. It's like, <laughs> is Who magazine going to take a picture of Robin and go, found permaculture <laughs> expert taking child to McDonald's? <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, there's all sorts of issues there. But I think, you know, I think everyone must experience it on some level. And I think, yeah, sometimes if you're in a community where and your kids go to a school of like-minded people and it's an alternative school, it might be a bit easier. But I think. In general, you're going to have those struggles and it's going to be different for everyone. Yeah. They cope that. But, yeah, for me it's been a real, yeah, I'm constantly feeling uncomfortable with how Yeah. I thank you for sharing that because I think the more we share those stories with, with that kind of struggle and the more we realise, well, what if we just ditched perfect and actually yeah. just did our best? Yeah. and laid the groundwork so that they know what good food is because then yeah. in their 20s they always come back and they do. They start to think, oh, I feel crap. All right. that stuff mum used to rabbit on about, like maybe I'll incorporate some of that. And you see it in 20-somethings. They, they definitely come back. And, and um, sort of what you like, what you choose to do personally. Like you might not make them do it, but, you know. Exactly. They see me out in the garden and growing food and doing all the things I do and yeah yeah and one day they may be on a podcast as permaculture experts <laughs> saying well it all started with me growing up with a mum who grew veggies and had a permaculture magazine like you never know yeah who knows although mm. I might go the opposite <laughs> <laughs> BHP and <laughs> executives in the oil industry that would uh yeah. no that's not going to happen but um I think um, I think we do what we do most of the time to be able to go with the flow some of the time. And that go with the flow for me is the social integration acceptance piece yeah. where, you know, you're not going to point at your mate's buffet at a summer barbecue and ask if the carrots are organic before you tuck in. You just yeah. don't do that. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I think the more that people do talk about it, it's because, I mean, it's really with Instagram and Facebook and you see everyone's perfect moments mm. and, you know, you, it can make you feel guilty that, you know, you're not baking bread every day and you're not. You know. I did not bake a single 
loaf of sourdough during <laughs> isolation. I'm just going to come out and say it now. I don't yes, know if my whole community was expecting me to do that, but no, it just, there are yeah. so many amazing bakers out there. I wanted to support small business. Yeah. Um, I even do make sourdough and, you know, I did a video on how to do it. It's good on you. Isolation, but you know, I still buy it from, we've got a beautiful organic sourdough bakery in town, which we're really lucky to have. And mm. Yeah, I I go through stages where I bake a lot and then I go through stages where I buy it. And yeah. I feel totally okay with that because I can't do everything. <laughs> no, and you can't do everything all the time, you know. There's just so many ebbs and flows. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. such a great, important point. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, um, Robin. This was such a great chat and I think... Yeah, awesome. And so lovely to hear a bit more about how Pip Magazine got started. It's one of my faves. There's always so many calm, gentle, empowering articles to get people to whatever next step you're excited to get to. So yeah. thank you. And uh, I look forward to the next issue. Yep. Well, it's coming out next week. So hit Awesome. Sounds good. Thanks, Alex. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social on Instagram at lowtoxlife, or one word, or my personal Instagram uh, at underscore Alex with two X's, Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. On Facebook, you can find us at lowtoxlife. Uh, and of course, lowtoxlife.com. And if you want additional support and community around leading a low-tox life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Low-Tox Club for just $49 Australian per year, which is about $29.30 US, about €27 and about £25. You get a stack of club member perks and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lowtoxlife.com, hit the Explore tab and you'll see Join the Lotox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in.